morning, all. Welcome to this week's Red Voices. I'm Ewan Leonard. With me tonight is Rich Cant. So, this weekend, United entertained a team in the bottom half of the Premier League at Old Trafford who had a poor record away from home and who are not scoring very many goals at all. And guess what? Fanfare, please. We drew. So... Forget football, Rich. What is it you do for a living? I, I, I just, I just professionally uh, drown my sorrows about United. Oh, dude, really? That's that's more interesting than the truth. <laughs> oh, good grief! Well, there we go. <laughs> Pitch slap back down to reality there. Thank you very much. <laughs> good grief. Um, one word to describe yesterday for me, Rich. Astonished. Regardless of how this season has panned out, the fact that we've now drawn seven games at home in a relatively similar fashion. Still found myself absolutely amazed at the way we managed to not take three points from a game that was eminently winnable. Yeah, I think there was particular frustration yesterday. I think I said I said after the game, I thought that was the worst of our home draws. Oh yeah, that, that, I guarantee that was the worst of the lot by some distance. I mean, even if you even if you scrub the fact that they only had ten men in the second half, at least against Burnley, it it, it was there was a sense of the Alamo. You know, we really did batter the life out of them. Whereas Bournemouth, we had, you know, we played pretty well first half and created quite a few chances, didn't take them. But second half against 10 men really didn't create anything at all of any any great note apart from the penalty. And I think that was that was the most frustrating thing is we played 10 men for 45 minutes and it seemed that our only tactic was punting the ball up front towards Ibrahimovic and hoping something fell our way, which was, you know, at least in the other home draws, we actually had a go, we had a real go and it you know, ultimately it was down to finishing, whereas yesterday was finishing and other other new and and special ways of not winning a game. Yes, we, we seem to have made something of an art format of not winning football games in those sort of circumstances. Absolutely remarkable. Mm. I mean, it's just so weird. You know, here we were a week ago around the same time, you know, talking about how great it was that we'd won a cup. And initially, I mean, you know, you look back to that game last weekend, you think, all right, Zlatan definitely saved us on more than one occasion in that game. And uh, we're Definitely a strong argument to say that we either should have not have won that game or at least not won it in uh, normal time, considering how good Southampton were. And it just feels like the the way in which our performances over the last couple of weeks have gone, it's just starting to catch up with us a little bit. I don't necessarily think we've uh, you know stolen a victory on any of these occasions because you could say that the EFL Cup final, for instance, we were simply a side that finished better. You know, it's not necessarily we were we were completely out of the game until. You know, Satan scored that first goal and then it got in there. Whilst we were definitely lucky to be in the lead, we hadn't necessarily stolen a result. And I think because in the second half, as you noted there, there just seemed to be a complete lack of a plan. It felt like things sort of caught us up with a bit on Saturday lunchtime. You know, it, it, at, at no point in that second half did I think we were definitely, definitely going to get a goal. I think we have to um, we have to separate the, the League Cup final and the Bournemouth game in that you could forgive the laboured performance at Wembley because we played St Etienne four days before. We've been playing twice a week for however many weeks and we just looked tired and Southampton looked like a team who had had two weeks rest. And so, you know, to win that game was actually an impressive thing because we clearly were leggy and we pulled it out when we were really up against it. Whereas the Bournemouth game, we've had a week off. They, you know, they've had nothing to do for a week apart from focus on that game and rest. I think, I think, Mourinho gave them two days off after uh, after Wembley, yeah. so they've, they've had a rest. They've had time to prepare for it, and you know it was clear that with, with Arsenal and Liverpool playing each other, they had a chance 
to overtake at least one of them. And we could have put ourselves in a position where we're actually in the top four before that game was played. With you know, putting putting some pressure on both sides. And so, you know, the players didn't need telling the the significance of that game and the importance of winning that game. Well, you know why it happened, didn't you? Why is that? We just love six. We do love six. It, it it's becoming a it's becoming one of the world's great love stories, isn't it? It it's part of our lives now. It is intrinsic it is. to the fabric of the club. We are the sixth best team in England, and no one can take that away from us. Big time. And I, I mean, I I hate the early kickoffs. I don't know about you. I, I've got absolutely nothing to back this up, but it always seems to me like United are half asleep when we kick off at, at lunchtime on a Saturday. I'm sure somebody will somebody will pop up and show me statistics that demonstrate that's complete nonsense. But that's what it was, wasn't it? We just we just looked like we were. It was just a very slapdash performance, wasn't it? You know, in terms of in terms of our finishing, in terms of Phil Jones losing the ability to control his legs again all game, and in terms of decisions that we made as a team in the second half and decisions that Mourinho made. And it's so strange that we we seem to have, we seem to have these two sides to us. We have we have games in which Ibrahimovic is the match winner and you know he does he does the big things when it matters and there are also games in which Mourinho can win games from the bench or through tactical decisions then we have games on Saturday like Saturday where Ibrahimovic was just absolutely hopeless and you know because when he's when he's bad he's really bad I mean <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's great a lot of the time but when he's bad he's absolutely horrible this is true and again in the second half there was we didn't appear to have a tactical plan and the substitutions were just absolute nonsense. Made absolutely no sense to me at all. It's just like every so often we we just come into a game where we, where absolutely everything goes wrong all at once. But not in a not in a, an unfortunate way. It's just we just lose our lose our collective shit for ninety minutes. Yeah, we 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 do have this habit in these situations of just self destructing and it's I mean, last season it was almost expected that we would do something wrong because we were playing this football that was so centred around this notion of controlling the ball, keeping possession, carving out a couple of chances and maybe, you know, grabbing one goal. And if we're very, very lucky, and if Christmas could come early, two. But, you know, defensively, because uh, it was actually in frequently so easy to get us and unsettle us, you know, you just assumed that if players put us under sorry, teams put us under too much pressure, that we would simply crumble. And that happened a lot last season. In these games, this season, I don't think that's really happening. I think the big problem is, is that we just seem to spook ourselves. I mean, yeah. this game in particular, I wish, I, I'm not, <laughs> this is going to sound, I'm not trying to sound like Nostradamus or anything along those lines, but I was just thinking in the lead up to that penalty, God, you know what? Bournemouth are in possession here a little bit. Given us a couple of problems, a couple of breaks in that first half. Just thinking, it would be ridiculous if we went into this half-time break even, given what we've seen. Given the fact that we completely dominated this, well, apart from those couple of chances. You know, we've looked so good going forward. We've created so many chances. We should have scored two, three or four easily. It's just the fact that, you know, as has frequently happened this season, we can't finish to save our fucking lives. But there we go. But there, there it was. Just these moments where our... Well, I guess in this instance, it was Phil Jones' head who collectively went because he had an absolute stinker. But we do have these errors in us. And it's not necessarily something that I think Mourinho can do a hell of a lot about because he can't stop Zlatan from missing a couple of chances and seeing that penalty save by Boric. He can't stop Phil Jones from making a challenge like that because 
I don't think there was a single soul at Old Trafford who thought that wasn't a penalty. I don't think he can draw those errors out of the players that he's got until he stop, unless he just stops playing them. I don't necessarily think there was a hell of a lot he could have done yesterday. I think it was just this slightly innate ability we have this season. And I hope this is maybe the end of it. I'm sure we're going to crop up in future seasons under Mourinho. But I'm hoping we're not going to see too much more of this because it's so, so draining to watch United just throw points away in these situations when we've just got to win. And you mentioned it, you know, this fourth place was there. Well, I mean, we could have moved up to fifth, obviously, because of the Liverpool-Arsenal game. But we could have actually moved up in the table. And every time we seem to have that opportunity, we just seem to bottle it. I, I think the game again showed, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but again showed the importance of Pogba and Ibrahimovic. Basically, without them, we don't play. If their heads aren't there, then we really struggle, don't we? We do, and 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 both were absolutely hopeless on on Saturday. At the same time, now they weren't the only ones. For, you know, I don't think there's anybody who really would score above six out of ten. But but both of them had particularly bad days, and the problem is that when they have bad days, and also when we're missing someone of the class of Henrik Mkhitaryan as well, when those two don't play, we really really struggle, and. Yeah. We've got to find a way to win games without them. And, you know, we'll talk about whether we may be without Ibrahimovic anyway for a few games. But, but <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm sure Mourinho can see that. And, he, you know, he'll have his plans in place to add attacking talent in the, in the summer. Um, but we are just so reliant on them. And the problem we have is that we have to play them every week. And they're going to be, they've going to have played 60, 65 games by the end of the season. And, you know, for it's anybody, mad. that's incredibly hard. And, and that's going to take its toll. And also, obviously, we saw Mourinho giving a nod to attempting to to freshen the team up a little bit on on Saturday, bringing in Shaw and Rooney and changing the centre backs again. But what we see is that when we do that, we do weaken the team quite considerably. And you know, we don't have the squad at the moment. We, you know, I think we really missed Herrera particularly in terms of drive from midfield and creativity and common sense and common sense. Well, yeah, and you know, we don't we we're not in a position where we can where we can change a few players and still retain the same level of performance. And that's going to be a real problem for Mourinho, because Mourinho doesn't like losing any game. He doesn't like playing weakened teams, ever. Mm. And But we're in a position where we have to prioritise every game now, because we have to try and win the Europa League. We still have to fight to try and get in the top four. And, you know, we're going to take the FA Cup seriously at the point we're at. So, you know, you have to worry that the that, that key players are just going to start running out of steam. Sure. I mean, I think with Pogba, the one thing I will say before we actually get into looking at the game, I thought Pogba actually had a pretty damn decent first half, but I think the running theme with him so far this season since he's rejoined the club is that when things have been difficult, when the team is struggling, he struggles. I think he struggles under the weight of expectation in particular. I think he just tries too hard. You know, it's a very simple thing to say, but it's true. You know, some of the passes he was attempting as the clock was winding down were just ridiculous, and he completely... Swished through the air at those two half chances towards the end of the game. You know, you'd expect one of those to go on target at the very least. But again, he didn't have a particularly good second half. And as I mentioned there, when the team struggles, I think he feels like there's too much pressure on him to, I don't know, justify the price tag, justify his position, justify himself, you know. And yeah. it, it gets to the point where he just isn't doing what comes naturally to him. He is trying to influence things in a way that isn't necessarily 
you know, going to help him. It doesn't necessarily help the team either. You know, I mean, I, I'm all for him trying. He's a great footballer, and I don't think that I buy into this whole narrative of, you know, him not being worth it. I think at the moment you've got to you've got to remember that Pogba's come from a team at Juventus which was absolutely full of match winners, and they were winning games every week. And he <clears throat> he could he could have games where he could play his natural game, and others would would win the games, and. He's he's come into a team where there are very few genuine match winners in the side. Well, he's looked as being a match winner. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, if you look at his stats from from Juventus, you know, he consistently scores and assists, but he's not prolific. And and he, you know, the position he was playing in, you wouldn't have expected him to be. But the problem is that he's come into a side where clearly he at least feels we don't know what Mourinho is telling him, but clearly he at least feels that he has to justify. The, you know, the amount of money that was spent on him, and also, you know, if he, he he looks around that team that there aren't the matchmakers there, and he thinks I have to do this because other people can't or aren't, and and as you say, when when he gets into that state of mind where he's trying too hard, then he just falls apart, and you know, I, I think we, we'll see the best of Pogba when and if or if and when he's playing in a team which is a lot stronger individually. Um, particularly in front of him. Yeah. Having said that, you know a lot of people are very critical of him, but I, I think for two thirds of the season, he's actually been pretty ex- exceptional. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that completely. I can't get on board with this notion that he isn't, as I said, either a worth the money or b should be performing consistently on a higher level than anyone else just because he is poor Pog and we spent eighty nine million pounds on him. That will come in time. I've no doubt of that. I think because United is still in flux, he is still finding his feet to a certain extent, and it's not going to work out every week. And as you know, uh, Musa mentioned on when we were discussing it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, and as he's also mentioned a couple of other pieces, you know, he's a sensitive lad. You know, he's not got everything figured out. <laughs> you know, in the world, despite the brash, confident exterior, that's just not necessarily who he is. So I think that needs to be taken into account as well. You know, he is. An incredible player, and we will get more out of him. At this stage, it is disappointing that we aren't necessarily getting the same thing week in and week out. But you could say that about several players. You know, players that are 10, 12 years is uh, is senior are struggling to perform week in, week out. You know, yeah. But there we go. Let's actually start concentrating on the game, considering that we're 15 minutes through this and we haven't actually started talking about the game because we're so clearly down on our luck. Right, so that was bad, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but as we said, the first half wasn't in itself bad. The tempo was pretty good. It was an incredibly open, open game. You know, it could have been five or six, two or three by the by half time. But United had enough chances to have had that wrapped up by half time easily. There's just there's just like this feeling now. You know, when when United have a chance at home, there's no expectation that we'll finish it. Um, I don't know. I honestly came into this game thinking. Despite everything that had come before it, Rich, I genuinely thought we were going to win this one. I wasn't necessarily sure it was going to be yeah. easy, but I thought we were going to win this one. Am I just stupid? I'm not sure. No, no. I mean, I, I, I did think we'd win it as well, but you just have that you have that thing in the back of your mind when, you know, particularly when we, we ended up going in at half-time at one all, and as the time ticks on, it starts to become more and more of a, an issue in your mind, doesn't it? You know, it feels like every chance is... You know, hard earned and easily spurned, but we did create so much in that in the first half, and the finishing was just absolutely diabolical. We did. I've got notes. I've got notes. There yeah. was uh, Rooney's quick uh, flick over to Rooney, and then he headed it over. Admittedly, it was coming along quite fast. Ro- so he Rooney, wasn't able fl- to get Rooney it, flicked yeah. it to himself. So Valencia flicked the ball, <laughs> and then Rooney headed it over. 
Um, let's see. Impressive. There was Pogba's touch, which Boric got a little bit of a nick on and sent it wide. But again, I wasn't necessarily sure that would have been 100% on target given uh, Pogba has been in that situation several times this season and tends to poke it wide, unfortunately. Uh, there was Rooney 2-on-1 with Zlatan and then the ball was just a little bit too far ahead of Zlatan, I think you'd say. Yeah. And then Marshall a couple of times where he jinked inside and shot low at Boric. Uh, I mean, the goal eventually came. You know, it it was uh, it was it was like almost like a carbon copy of Falcao's first goal, wasn't it? I think it was mentioned on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Everton, yeah, yeah. and Di Maria with the low shot, and then Falcao stuck a leg out and then directed it towards goal. I mean, Rocco, Rocco's... Rocco the predator. <laughs> oh, why was he there? That was that was a weird one. It, Who it was knows? Let's thank score, the Lord he was. It, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, first ever goal in the Premier League for Rocco. I think that is only his. That must only be his second since you joined the club. Second I can only remember goal, yeah. one. Yeah, because the first one was in the FA Cup uh, two years ago. So, yeah, it's been a long time since he was on the score sheet. It's been a long time since he was relevant. But there we go. At, up until that point, I mean, Afobi had had that sort of break where Rojo was inches away, in my eyes, from getting sent off. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of other uh, decent spurts of pace from Bournemouth where they looked like they could generally trouble us. But at that point, at that 1-0 point, I think I was relatively comfortable with where we were. You're just hoping to... I mean, I I fortuitously tweeted from the account, you know, at this point, if we can get another goal or so or two, just take Zlatan off, give him the rest and save him for the other games because you're not going to get anything from keeping him on the pitch in this game. Mm. He wasn't playing particularly well and we looked like we could do some good stuff. Didn't pan out like that, though, did it? No, I mean, I I got the... Imp- I, I felt after we scored the goal that we, we the tempo dropped and that we just assumed that we were now going to pass it around and, and cruise to the victory. Perhaps the Watford game was in our minds. Yeah, exactly. Just dropped off 30-40%. And, and in fairness, we were pretty comfortable until the penalty incident, which, as you, as you said earlier, was about as blatant a penalty as you'll ever see and wasn't Phil Jones's first mistake of the day either. He, you know, we, he's, he's been so so good this season, but he just looked like he looked like Bambi, didn't he, from the first, the first minute, really. It was... Uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, he returned to what was commonly referred to as classic Phil Jones yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's the so Jones we, rem- we love and remember or something. It's the Jones that we never thought we well, hoped we wouldn't see any more of, to be honest. Yeah, and I have to say, the last few weeks have been pretty chastening for our um, for our centre-backs. Spalling's had a, a couple of really shaky games. Bailly's really, from the Saint, the first Saint-Etienne game, has looked, looked pretty shaky. And Jones, you know, Jones came in, came in yesterday and largely hopeless <laughs> whenever he was... <laughs> Whenever he's asked to do much of importance, so yeah, I mean, it was just a really bad time to concede a penalty as well. We we controlled the first half, and if we'd gone in at halftime a goal up, I think I think probably we'd have we'd have had a bit more swagger when we came out for the second. But conceding when we did, and then the the, the things that happened before halftime after that, it almost became a more difficult more difficult second half for us psychologically. This is true. I mean, <clears throat> again, no complaints with the penalty. Uh, Jones, no. was, I mean, Mark Pugh did very well to sort of pull the ball back and Jones just completely took him out. No complaints whatsoever. Yeah. So, yep, Josh Keane in front of the Stretford end converted. I mean, couldn't really have had too many complaints about it. And then <laughs> Kevin Friend's finest hour, that absolute mess in front of Artur Boric's goal at the end of the first half. Did, did anybody have any clue what happened there? I mean, it took me several minutes to figure out what on earth was going on. You know, Sky's coverage at that point was absolutely appalling. You know, they they gave basically no replays. No one seemed to have any idea what had gone on. But yeah, the stamp. Yes. That was incredibly ugly. Uh, I mean... Yeah, it was... You know, he looked at it. He he said it was accidental, but I think 
He knows he's back to rights. He looked at him and then stamped on his head. It is what it is. Cowardly thing to do. I mean, it was. It's a poor. You know, it's an absolutely appalling thing to do. I, I, I never understand. There, there are some things that footballers do that I can never understand. Obviously, Suarez biting everything that he comes across was one. Um, but another doing something like that. I mean, what what goes through your mind? Even if even if you're having a bit of a battle with someone, you want to give them a, a boot or whatever. You know, what goes through your mind? You think, yeah, I'll just stamp on this guy's head with my studded boots. I mean, especially with Zlatan on the floor there, if he catches it in a different way, you could be talking about incredible damage. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but then again, you know, speaking of uh, incredible damage, Zlatan talking in the post-match saying, no, I didn't really mean to catch him with my elbow. I was just jumping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you weren't. You knew he was there. You jumped up with your big elbows in the Fellaini style, and you did it anyway. Yeah. I mean, can you blame him for doing it in a no. in good a mano no. a mano sense? No, no. You know, Mings deserved a good elbow in the chops, but um, in in the in terms of the rule book, he should have been sent off, and he's probably going to find himself with a ban of some sort, probably three games after. That does bring up a very interesting idea of whether or what will happen with uh, Ibrahimovic out of the side. You know, does that mean that we actually get to see Rashford play up front in some games that he definitely wouldn't start it otherwise? Which would be very interesting to see, especially if we've got a fit Mkhitaryan back in the in the team and the squad to see how that would sort of change things. Because we saw we've seen glimpses of it over the last couple of months, but because as you mentioned, Mourinho doesn't like to pick weakened sides or he really powers through and absolutely you know uses and abuses his most important players it could be very interesting to see how that pans out because yeah i mean if that is the case then yeah i would fully expect him to get suspended but yeah i mean back to the context of the game you would argue based on the way that second half panned out that the red card actually didn't help us one little goddamn bit it didn't given the way we attempted to deal with it which i think is more about us than you know, than the fact they had ten men. I just don't understand. You know, the way to the way to to play against ten men is to, to really stretch them, to tie them out, to to pass around them, pass through them, exploit space. Whereas our approach to the second half was to forget everything we did well in the first half and just hoof the ball up to Ibrahimovic, or quite often hoof the ball over Ibrahimovic's head and out for a goal kick, which I don't recall us ever doing before. I just I don't understand I don't understand why we started doing that I don't know whether Mourinho thought that was a good tactical whether the players just panicked and nothing that happened in that second half makes any sense to me you, you know down to the substitutions later on in the game as well we, we the way we approached that second half was how it should be put in a textbook as to how not to approach playing a half against ten men I mean I hate to use the the buzzword composure but there really was sod all of that yesterday was there no I mean we didn't create anything either did we. Uh, the couple of half chances. I mean, we did get a penalty, but which was, you know, subsequently, you know, didn't go in. So there's that. Just the way, as you mentioned, we approached that game. It was the. It's, it is a template for how you do not approach that situation. We didn't pass it around carefully. We looked hurried. We looked rushed. We looked spooked. I mean, all right, fair enough. We have been in this situation so many times this season. You look back at Stoke. You look back at Burnley. You look back at Hull. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's there's several more that I just don't want to mention because I'm making myself sad. Just think about it. But we have been in a situation so many times this season where we've come up against a team that we're expected to beat, that we've had several chances that we passed up, and the clock is ticking down, and we just start looking like nothing is going to work. And in the first 10, 15 minutes of that second half, there was a little bit of composure to a certain extent. You know, at least we were stroking it around 
you know, with a relative degree of comfort. You know, Bournemouth were essentially sitting back and waiting to pick us off on the break. And I don't think, if unless my brain is uh, deceiving me, there was really a proper chance for them in the second half. But after about 10, 15 minutes, things just seemed to fall apart. We got hurried. We started making terrible decisions with the ball. The passing went... And that triple substitution, I mean, I think Mourinho's really got to take, a, you know, basically all the blame for that. You know, Fellaini playing in midfield didn't work at all. You know, we all know what you do in that situation. If you're chasing a game, if you're going to bring Fellaini on, stick him up top. You know, aim some long balls at him and see if you could, if anything comes off. You know, it's not foolproof. And it very, you know, it, it does work sometimes. It's been proven to work, you know, 50% of the time, it works all the time. But it's not a foolproof strategy. But if that's what you're going to... If you're going to bring him on, that's how you use him. We all know this. Putting him in midfield didn't help necessarily whatsoever. Zlatan, as you mentioned, had an absolute stinker. And going back through mentally thinking about that game and how we just couldn't get ourselves together, how we couldn't gather ourselves, just stop for a minute and say, right, we should be winning this game and we're not. How are we going to make it happen? There is just... There's a lack of... I mean, there are experienced heads on the pitch. You know, you've got Carrick, you've got Rooney, you've got Vibramovic. You're all over 30, you've all won countless trophies. But there just seems to be the lack of this focal point in the team that can slow them down, that can just get them thinking carefully about how to approach these situations when things are working against us to a certain extent, or we're our own, we're our own worst enemy. And that is going to be really, really intrinsic as to how best we can actually get through the rest of the season and going forward because we're really missing that sort of leadership presence despite all this experience we've got in the team. I suspect we're going to have the we're going we're going to see the same cycle over and over again. You know, we'll win a few games. You know, Ibrahimovic and Pogba will win us a few games as well, and then we'll come we'll, we'll find ourselves with games like Saturday again. And you know, it's difficult to know how much Mourinho can do about that before the end of the season and actually brings in better or more appropriate players for the for the ways he's wanting them wanting them to play you know we we struggle a lot on the right hand side particularly when we play when we play matter in that he drifts in field a huge amount and matters one of our better players this season so i'm not it's not a criticism but that then means that valencia has to provide the width and the problem we had at the weekend was that valencia's delivery was absolute dirt it was not good was it it was awful you know he, he has actually been a lot better at points of season I think he's generally had a very good season but we ended up really with no natural width at all um Martial generally speaking tends to, to cut inside although he can go outside but he doesn't deliver um kind of orthodox crosses which you know we now have a player in, in Ibrahimovic who is very uh, powerful in the air so we can actually make use of, of that tactic if Valencia is not delivering well from the other side, then we essentially have no. We, we cut off that avenue of attack. I just don't. I don't know if we have the confidence in ourselves to try and pass our way through the middle of another team's defence. And it's absurd. Bournemouth have been absolutely shedding goals. You know they've they've, they've lost they lost seven of the previous ten. They they let in six at Everton. They basically play a wide open system. Goals are there for any team who plays against them, and we just seem to just have no idea how to how to break them down in the second half it was bizarre I mean we haven't really talked about the penalty as well even the even the penalty pissed me off to be honest in that if you <laughs> do you think it was lucky I mean would you have given that oh no it was I think I think it was a penalty I think I think we're at, we're, we're at a stage now with with defenders and their arms whereby they have to keep their arms relatively close to their body and if you lunge into a challenge and your arms are out in front of you or away from the body then I think you're always in danger of uh, conceding a penalty, even if it's from relatively close range. 
Yeah, I mean, my rule is if you're doing a star jump, then you're in trouble. Yeah, and he wasn't doing that, but he 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 he'd gone in for the tackle, and his arms were at ninety degrees to his body in front of him, and they the ball had hit his hands, and it's very close range, but he jumped in a way that meant that his arms could block the ball if they were played, if it was played in that direction. It wasn't on purpose, but it, you know, it, he did, and I think it was a penalty. But I, the way Ibrahimovic takes penalties, I, I think he's gone to that same corner every time he's had one, and. If you're going to take a side foot penalty low down to one side as the keeper, you're essentially giving the goalie a 50-50 chance of saving it unless you play with enough power and perfect accuracy. So Boric, Boric had a 50-50 chance and I'm sure he's, he's seen Ibrahimovic's previous penalties and he just went where he's played the rest of them and it was a really, really easy save. And I cannot understand, those penalties always seem to me to be like the penalty of a poser. You want it looks really good if you just roll it into the opposite corner when the keeper goes the other way. That looks great. You know, Balotelli used to be the master of it. He'd just P-roll it into the opposite corner. But you're reducing your chance of scoring. If you go hard, even down the middle, you have a far greater, greater chance of scoring. But if you go hard and high, then you're putting the keeper in a position where even if he dives, he might not save it. Whereas if you play that and he dives the right way, he saves it. And... I think it, that, that that penalty just kind of summed up our day. It was just tentative and pretty easy to, to stop. And and that was really united on Saturday in the second mm. half. I mean, at Dave797 asked, why do we make every single goalkeeper in existence look like Lev Yashin? I mean, to be fair, we I don't we? think we, we didn't. I, I don't no. Not this weekend. I don't necessarily think we put Boric under nearly enough pressure to suggest that he had an absolutely brining performance. Because we just didn't create that much in the second half. Especially with all that possession. Especially with all that lovely numerical advantage. I mean, despite the fact that Harry Arter definitely should have gone along with Sermon for what was a particularly nasty challenge. I think at that point, though, given that friend had arguably bottled uh, sending off uh, Zlatan, given the elbow and had missed the the Ming stamp, I think he felt reticent to... uh, (laughs) <laughs> heap any more sorrow on Bournemouth but to be fair I think at that stage yellow card with that challenge he should have gone you know I don't yeah. think there's too there could be too much complaint about that had he been sent off at that point I mean even then you know even with nine men you wouldn't necessarily put your life savings on United getting that goal because <laughs> no. given the way we were playing we were really really struggling yeah. but yeah I mean thinking back to that match now uh, and the full and the inevitability of that uh, that result given how you know if you think back to the Middlesbrough game we were at least banging on the door so hard it became clear that at least something might happen after we went 1-0 down and then did well with those uh, uh, that Martial and Pogba goal to get back into the game and eventually win it. With this game, it did have a feeling of top four seemingly slipping away. And, you know, 24 hours later, it can be viewed with a little bit more positivity and a bit more objectivity so you know you we do have the the saving grace of that game in hand and the fact that at city yeah yeah i I was i I was getting there i was getting there (laughs) you're saying about optimism the day afterwards if you watch the football today it i think it actually was more annoying we saw spurs power past everton harry kane you know scoring two terrific goals you've seen city ease past sunderland and aguero making the breakthrough and even just seeing seeing Lukaku score for Everton as well it's incredibly frustrating just seeing other sides being effective in the attacking sense and their big players actually winning them the games and in fairness somebody did say on Twitter you know Ibrahimovic won us that that cup final last week yeah. but but too often our big 
our big players aren't winning the games that we need them to. Sure. I mean, we've had too many examples like this this season where we've been at home playing a team that we should win and it's just not happened for whatever reason. You know, either we've just not been able to put teams away, uh, we've dominated and created so many chances and our shooting boots have not been on, or like yesterday, have a good first half, relatively solid, create several chances that we should score from and the second half it just all goes to pot and we just do not look like we know what we're doing. But maybe positivity or optimism is the wrong word. Maybe a little bit, just a bit less negativity, I guess, is the best way of saying it. We're so still I feel in touch, a little, aren't we? Yeah, we start. We, I mean, it, it's not over. It just is a very stupid game not to have won, given the fact that we had 45 minutes with a man advantage and we had a penalty. And that is, there's no getting away from the frustration that you look at that game. And I mean, in those sort of situations, I mean, I can't imagine if it was much fun watching it, you know, actually at Old Trafford yesterday, I was watching it at home and I find myself, I had to just switch off from football for the rest of the weekend because I was that frustrated with the result. But as I said, 24 hours on, you do kind of look at it a bit differently and trying to think, well, is this completely over? And the league table states that no, it is not over. But as you mentioned, that game in hand is against City at the Etihad. To be fair, if it was at home, I would not put any money on us uh, winning that whatsoever because we don't do those things. At the Etihad, maybe we've got a bit more of a chance. But yeah, I mean, the importance placed on that game now, having not won today, is absolutely gigantic. We absolutely have to get three points out of that. And you consider that we're also going off to White Hart Lane and we've got to go to the Emirates before the end of the season. It is in our hands to a certain extent, but I think... We say it, it, again, it sounds completely cliched. You can't have many more days like we had yesterday if we really genuinely want to gain the top four and take qualification with the Champions League into our own hands. But we really bloody can't have many more days like like yesterday and get away with it. It's just not going to work. It's not. I think the frustration is as well that we've had, really since late November, we've had a run of fixtures which has been about as soft as we could have hoped for. We have been playing. We've had we've had Liverpool at home, obviously, but we've generally been playing sort of mid to lower table teams for about three months in the league, and we actually st- we, we will continue to play those teams for another few weeks. We've got I think our next league games Middlesbrough away. We've got a few three or four more winnable, really winnable games before we hit that hideous run of of three of the teams above us away and Chelsea at home. We have to have a a cushion before we play those games because realistically we are not going to win all four of those games. And, mm. you know, the likelihood is, and this is not, I'm not, I'm not dissing United. If, if, if any of the other top six teams were playing that, those fixtures, they would not expect to get, certainly not expect to get more than nine points. You'd, you'd probably think they'd get less than that. Oh God, because... it'd be an absolute miracle if we got four wins from four and 12 points from each of those games. I mean, it, just look at us this season. It just doesn't feel feasible. I'm not trying to be defeatist about it. I completely agree with you. I'm trying to be realistic. So we are going to drop points to our rivals in those games. And we have to have a cushion before then. And so the frustration this weekend, apart from the fact that we've seen it before, is that we are running out of games to even get in the top four, let alone create ourselves a cushion to keep keep ourselves in there. And I think that Every week that we don't get back into the top four, the chances of us actually finishing the top four at the end of the season are dropping very rapidly. Well, this is part of the problem as well, in the sense that we are not on league duty again this weekend. So we're going to be potentially two games behind several of the teams above us by the time we actually play uh, Middlesbrough in two weeks' time. 
So it's it, we are going to leave ourselves with somewhat of a tall order, leaving a lot of pressure on those two games in hand to make sure that we win both of them, to make sure that we are at least a little bit higher than you know sixth, maybe fifth in an ideal world. Fifth would be yeah. nice, right? Yeah, and and also ideally still in the in the Europa League and FA Cup as well. That would be good. We're still going to have even if we win against Rostov, we've still got two more rounds before before the final. Yay, football! Woo! So, you know, from the perspective of, of, of fans who want to see, you know, watch their team play as much as possible, it's great. But from the perspective of a squad which is quite light on top-class talent and there isn't an enormous amount of depth, once you start changing around a few key players, the, the quality drops off very quickly. That's an awful lot of games to play and to play at the level that we really need to. So it's going to be an enormous challenge for us. Um, mm. Which obviously, which starts again on uh, in Rostov on Thursday. So you know, it, it, I think I think from here, if United do get in the top four, that will be a, a very very significant achievement from the position we're in now. Mm. Well, given that we've been fighting ourselves for so much of this season in games like this, I think it would be incredible if we uh, if we're able to keep progressing in the Europa League and the FA Cup and maybe win one or two of them and finishing the top four, considering how many games we've played already this season and how many more we still have to play. Just before we move on uh, to Twitter questions, Rich, <laughs> we've completely forgotten, I say we've completely forgotten, there have been slightly more important things to talk about. But a quick word on Luke Shaw, who actually returned to the starting lineup yesterday and was actually pretty good. He was all right. I mean, as I say, I don't think anybody played better than six out of ten. So, you know, he was reasonably steady. Uh, he wasn't, you know, his touch was off a few times. I think there was a, a tackle where he actually got got fouled. It was quite a nasty challenge where he'd kind of overrun the ball and I d- he didn't look sharp. But then he's not played for you know however long, so you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be completely on his game. I, I'm still not convinced that Mourinho trusts him at, the, at this point. I think it was probably as much a, an opportunity just to rotate a bit and and rest a few players and just give him give him a shot in a game which Mourinho I think would have expected to win whichever team he put out this is true but i do wonder if the efl cup final performance by rojo sort of forced him into the change to a certain extent as well because he he must have looked at that performance and come to the same conclusion that the rest of us were have well actually maybe he didn't because we came to this conclusion about what two years ago maybe yeah. a little bit more than that and decided that rojo at left back is bad and Mourinho's tried it several times since and only just subsequently come to the conclusion that it is in fact bad yeah, I mean, none, none of the options have done well there. I mean, Blint's mm. probably the best of the rest, but we've seen him struggle against against pacey, pacey wingers. So perhaps, yeah, perhaps you're right. You just thought, well, nothing else is working, really, so we might as well might as well give the kid a go. So, yeah. yeah, it was nice to see him back. And, you know, fingers crossed, we want him to be the player that we all thought he could be. But I'm, I'm not convinced that Mourinho believes that's actually going to happen. But, yeah, it was nice to see him, and I don't think he... I, don't, I certainly don't think he was the worst worst player on United player on the pitch by a long way. No, he didn't stink out of the place to any no. degree whatsoever. No. Right, let's have a quick look at uh, what we've got coming up this week. So just score predictions for the time being. So we've got uh, Rostov in Russia at, what is it, 6 o'clock on Thursday evening? That should be a fun one. What do you reckon for that score prediction? Maybe say one all. I think that that would be a really good result because they hope they're, they're really poor away from home. That would be a really, really strong position to be in, and I, I think all of these um, these predictions are probably they hinge a lot on whether Henrik Mkhitaryan is fit again or not. This is true. I mean, he did train on Friday, so maybe we'll get lucky and get him back in the side quickly. But I would be tempted if he's fit to maybe hold off to Chelsea 
But then again, you know, I guess it's such a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because Mourinho is never going to sacrifice the quarterfinal against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, especially given everything that went on with him uh, there last year, and especially given what happened at Stamford Bridge when we were last visiting there. He is going to want to go hell for leather for that game for sure. So... But then again, he won't want to just chuck away the Europa League, so it's going to be very interesting to see how he figures that one out. But yeah, I agree with you. Having a, uh, an away goal to take to Old Trafford, you know, in the, so the second leg of the following week would be absolutely wonderful, especially considering that it's going to be a nasty trip. And then we've got to worry about Chelsea at uh, in London one, two, three, four days later. What do you reckon to that? I would not stake very much money on us getting through that rap that high. <laughs> If we could get, I mean, to be fair, it's not necessarily that great of a thing if we managed to take him to a, a replay, really, is it? Because, again, where the hell are we going to fit that in if we manage to sneak past Rostov? Yeah, I think we either need to win or lose on the day. I just think mm. Chelsea are just too good at the moment. I think it will be a relatively comfortable win for Chelsea. And I don't think that's the end of the world for us because it, uh, you know, he does allow us a bit of breathing space. Um, in the calendar going forward and a chance to catch up on some games. Right, let's crack on with Twitter questions. At Dave Stays asks, why does Jose never take Ibra and Pogba off? Didn't think Ibra deserved to be on the pitch for 90 minutes. I mean, for several reasons, <laughs> Ibrahimovic should not have finished that game. No. No, he shouldn't. Um, but but Mourinho can see what everyone else can see, which is that we rely on those two to an enormous degree. And Ibrahimovic particularly can be having the worst game in the world and then just do something important, whether it's an assist or, or a goal or whatever. Mm. And he's the kind of player who he doesn't, his head doesn't drop. So if he's having a terrible game, he still wants the ball. He still tries to do things. And I think it's just a case of those, those two players in particular, in terms of quality is so far ahead of the alternatives that to take them off would almost feel self-defeating because you know, what are you going to do? You're going to take Pogba off and bring on Mario Fellaini. You <laughs> know, <laughs> here's one because uh, Herrera was missing yesterday how much do you think Pogba missed having Herrera in the team I think he missed him a lot I think he's struggling I think he's struggling with the the system we've been using with 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 having the two in midfield instead of the three and I think that's the key problem to his form in the last few games but he does miss Herrera a lot because Herrera does his running behind him Herrera's the dynamism Mm. whereas Carrick can't do that and I think Pogba feels less confident in in terms of pushing forwards next to Curry than he does next to Herrera. Uh, at Sean KDLA asks, where will Mata play when we sign Sanchez? <laughs> um, Boom. The, the answer is the probably nowhere um, in, this, <laughs> in, this, in this hypothetical world. That makes me sad, but yeah. I completely understand it. Plus, I don't think a player exists that Mourinho would love to have in his team more at this exact moment in time than Alexis Sanchez. Number one, yeah. just to piss off Wenger, because reasons. Number two, can you imagine the passionate, fiery love affair of... What's the word I'm searching for here? Just the will to win and the the desire to make sure that you did well and the competitive element between those two. I think it would spontaneously combust them both after a season or two. It would be absolutely wonderful. It would, although I do think that that Mourinho's desperately fallen head over heels in love with Antoine Griezmann. That would be good too. Which is understandable. He's pretty dreamy too. I mean, he's, I have he's, both. He's if, a dreamy footballer. Let's have both. Why not? I mean, if we must, yeah, go for it. Well, I mean, we haven't signed Zlatan yet, so you know, fair enough. All's yep. fair in love and war. Uh, at M Karimi twenty three asks, do you think Pogba was worth the eighty nine million pounds? Uh, yeah, I think that his value was not entirely about him as a footballer. So, 
Was he not, was he worth eighty nine million pounds as a footballer? No, I don't think he's worth eighty nine million pounds as a footballer. But then I don't think any midfielder in the world is. Do I don't I think, think any <clears throat> human being is worth eighty nine million. No, pounds. but I can understand why you'd pay yeah. that sort of money. I can understand why United might pay that sort of money for Griezmann in the summer if if he's available and we've got the money. But the point exactly. is that, that that he's worth eighty nine million to United as a footballer and as as a, a an image. And as, exactly. as, as, as unpleasant as that is to the modern, you know, to our modern football palette, it is what it is. And so it's ridiculous to judge him on the fee because the fee isn't just about him as a footballer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is, of course, the price, the price is going to be inflated because Juve are losing out on a lot of commercial income based on his presence and his lovely, lovely face. So, of course, it's going to be bigger. And if we're talking about in actual terms of football quality, you're not necessarily buying what you would say is the finished product. You're buying one of the most promising central midfielders in the game today. Someone who you know is going to improve. Someone who you know is going to be a linchpin of your side for the next you know, four or five years to come, potentially. That's why he costs that much. And I think you know, if you're expecting performances worthy of that price tag every single week, then to a certain extent... We are on a bit of a hiding to nothing because, as you mentioned before, and as we said it before last season when we were talking about this deal prospectively, this is not a high-functioning side yet. That's why it's not quite working out. But it will get better. It absolutely will. I've got absolutely every confidence in him. With better players, he'll be a better player. Exactly. That's a perfect way to finish it off. Last question tonight from at Biggish Mouth. Surely Europa League or bust now? Mm. No Champions League next season. Big issue. Oh, gosh. Wow, he sounds like me after full time. Has De Gea gone and Zlatan plus unlikely to get primary targets? Wow, good grief. So let me just run through that. No Europa League or bust, no Champions League next season, uh, De Gea going, Zlatan unlikely to stay as well, and unlikely to get primary targets too. Gosh, um, I think Zlatan will stay. I think that De Gea will stay. I think that Real Madrid have been stirring, tried to stir it up a little bit, but there doesn't seem to be any concerted effort to do anything there I think it's just that we'll just nibble and see what see what happened as far as we were aware United are under an obligation to sell him so um, I don't know why we would what else was there um, Europa League or bust yeah I think that's possibly right no Champions League being a problem yes it's a massive problem it will it will be a problem if it doesn't happen I mean this if it doesn't happen yes several yeah. months left to try and sort something out it remains to be seen as Mourinho loves to win all of the games and all the competitions whether or not we fall completely off the pace in the Premier League whether he will deem it uh, worthy of a, a polite fobbing off so we can concentrate on the Europa League I don't think I see that happening to be honest and targets that was it targets <laughs> oh, I that love was that. the last one wasn't it I think Absolutely. I think I think that last time I showed that we could, we can get very good players in without Champions League football. Well, we finished seventh one year and bought Di Maria the next year. Yeah, you know, money money talks in the end. When you talk about someone like Griezmann, whose buyout fee is, is supposed to be in sort of high eighty million pounds bracket, hmm. how how many clubs in the world can actually pay that or would actually pay that for him? I, I don't see that Real Madrid need him. I, Barcelona really don't don't have that money. I don't I don't think that Chelsea or City would would blow that much on one player you know the, mm. he doesn't have a lot of options and if United stumped up that, that amount of money to buy him out of his contract particularly given that he's super best chums with Pogba and, and his brother's insanely United um, <laughs> he is know, isn't he? I think he is I think I love think a bit are, of Theo I think there are lots of there are lots of reasons why he'd come to us 
Well, I can still see him staying there for another season. You know, as mentioned, Atleti are, you know, they, they will want to make some money because they're moving from the Calderon in the summer. Uh, but at the same time, Simeone seems to be staying for another season, unless I'm completely wrong in that. So that was one of the big reasons that was tying him to Atleti for a little while, wasn't it? That Simeone yeah. still being there. So if he's there for another year, it could potentially be if, you know, if, if we're talking hypothetically, if United don't get Champions League next season and Griezmann might stay, maybe we get him the following year. I don't think it really matters that much. I mean, in terms, uh, you know, it, for talking hypothetically, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have Griezmann because absolutely would. He's lovely and I like him. He's good at football, IMO. In terms of the here and now, I wouldn't really worry too much about that. I think we've just got to concentrate on getting through this period of busy games because we've got four before the next international break over this next fortnight it's going to be really really difficult to manage and my hope is that yesterday at home against Bournemouth was a another chasing experience that hopefully United will learn from maybe Mourinho will learn something that is the hope but we'll see Rich to, to stop you from having the last word there I think we'll call it a night there thanks very much for your company as always buddy no worries guys thank you very much for listening as ever don't forget you can get us all over the interwebs you can get me at at you and Leonard. you can get rich at at richardcan76 and you can get our blog at redvoices.net where our writing and all the other information you could possibly want about the five of us will be present you guys have yourself a spectacular week cheerio 